Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Mechdala, a young woman who holds a master's degree in social and public policy and is the author of Plus Size, a memoir of pop culture, fat phobia, and social change. Mechdala, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I am really looking forward to our conversation. I feel it's a really important one uh, for our society because, oh, there's just so much in our world right now that seems to be just in such turmoil. And certainly body size, body image, what we project, what is expected of us, it seems, uh, it is a big part or at least a part of it. And along, you come with a really important new book called Plus Size. So it, it is a compilation of essays, correct? Yes. And so how did this come about, Megdala? Well, um, I witnessed uh, body positivity um, starting to gain traction in the mainstream media. It became like this buzz term. And uh, in the process, it kind of lost a lot of its um, initial nuance and meaning. Um, and so I wanted to like document that, pro- like what I was seeing um, as it was happening. Um, and I was writing a lot of um, other observations as well based on the media I've seen. And then um, it ended up telling a story, a nonlinear story, but a comprehensive story anyway. And so that's how I, I published the book. These are all your own essays on your observations. Exactly. So you say it's nonlinear. Is it important to start at one end, or can we kind of hop around through through the book and choose something that jumps up out at us at a particular time? I think um, when reading the story the first time, it's good to do it from beginning to end. Um, but also, the essays can be standalone as well, right? So you can do that as well. Right. Okay. Well, good to know. Well, you have your own site for it, too, plussizebook.com. Exactly. Yeah, that's the website, all lowercase, uh, no spaces, plussizebook.com. So the book is available and really an important read, I think, for any and all of us. Wouldn't you say that there's the value here is from all sides and for us to learn and understand and to just have a, a better, well, maybe compassion for each other. Absolutely. So in your observations, let's take a look at the fact that there's a lot that has to do with media and both in, I think, certainly in terms of movies and TV shows, but it's also with music, true? Yes. Yes. And so what did you, or what had you been finding there? Um, I, it's interesting. I just did an interview today, and we discussed this as well, um, but in different, in different words, in different terms. But what I found is that, you know, there's a theme. There are, well, there are plenty of themes throughout the book that I talk about in the book description. Um, but the biggest overarching theme in my book, I think, was misogyny. Uh, or, you know, this um, hatred directed towards women and the many ways it intersects with other forms of oppression and how it's kind of like the 
the baseline of a lot of social issues in our society in ways we may not even realize, right? So I I even learned a lot as I was writing the book, and I, I continue to learn today about misogyny and um, misogynoir, which uh, is misogyny and how it intersects with uh, racism directed at black women. Um, we have, you know, ape, like fat phobia, of course, what the book's topic, but also like ableism, prejudice against disabled people. And of course, classism and capitalism, which is um, also at the, um, it, which is also underlying um, what fat phobia is about. And all of this is so interesting. It, this was a new term for me, misogyny not, but misogynoir, correct? With the N-O-I-R at the end of massage, massage noir, yeah. right? And as you said, that's, that is uh, directed at women of color, or particularly black women. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that, um, that term was actually coined by Professor Moya Bailey, a black woman, like as recent as 2018. But it, it, it's, it's absolutely real, and it absolutely is a um, form of misogyny. And I'm I'm trying to think of it in terms of seeing it on film. I think it's probably apparent in music, but not from my personal experience. But I'm thinking that there, well, just in general, some of the 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 music, even with female singers, can be putting women down. Yes, yes, that's very true. Um, uh, that's something that um, I touch on in the book is the media's misogyny or hatred of women. Um, and that absolutely includes music as well. So what educate us, if you would, I'm, I am trying to, to place in my mind uh, the media presenting women in this way what what stands out to you so that we understand and are are able to be on the same page about it of course um it started you know as early as i was in middle school um but of course at the time i didn't know what i was seeing was misogyny i think i just internalized it i think we all internalize it uh, but especially in middle school just like noticing you know the uh, the just the persistent dogging of female celebrities by the media, like especially the example I like to give is Britney Spears, like I, the famous um, her famous like mental breakdown and the paparazzi just dogging her and commenting and documenting it and all of the derision, uh, the derisive like late night comedians and everyone who really dogpiled on Britney Spears. That happened when I was in middle school, and at the time, I just thought, like, oh, she's just some, like, loony, you know. Um, I, I accepted, like, the narrative that the media went with, but now, especially now that we know more, especially with the new documentaries, you know, um, from the New York Times and Netflix, you know, we look back and we're like, wow, that was very, very bad, and that was, you know, it was misogyny, but it was also ableism, right? Which is like this discrimination um, against disabled people um, because she was having a mental health 
breakdown. Um, but yeah, I, it's like one of those things where you don't see it at the moment, but in hindsight, that was very much, you know, the media projecting its hatred of women to everybody else. And we also saw that um, with Meghan Markle as well. We saw how the tabloids, especially in Britain, really went after her. They were really uh, reporting uh, false stories about her, extremely biased stories about her, and they were inciting the public to hate her. And a lot of people actually dislike Meghan Markle now because of that coverage in the tabloids, and they don't even know why. They don't even know where that came from. But we know now that um, the media has this bias against women that portrays them in a negative light and turns people against them. That is really incredible. Thank you for sharing that, because I can think of those things. And in terms of Meghan Markle, I basically see a headline and decide, you know, I'm not going down that rabbit hole because you you don't know how much of this is really true. And sometimes, you know, some things are said and it really doesn't seem to have much sense to it at all. But yet... Um, I guess it raises questions, and it certainly puts the person, in that case, Meghan Markle, in a very bad light. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And people internalize that, and they don't even know that they're doing it. Yes. So they'll think, you know what, I don't really like her. There's something about her I just don't like. Mm-hmm. And it's really just the the negative images and biased reporting that they've been exposed to. Right. And so I think in a way, then, I can see with Britney Spears using that example because um, not to put her down at all, because I think now, as time has gone on, we get to appreciate that, you know, how much she suffered and, and all the turmoil that was going on. And especially, you know, pointing out the fact that she was going through so much mental distress and how, you know, only now are we beginning to have perhaps more sensitivity to ourselves and our mental health. But yes, to, you know, for all that she would have had to endure, thanks for pointing that out to us so that we have a clearer picture of how this is done. And it's, there's a subliminal aspect to it, isn't there? There is, there is a subliminal aspect. And I'm I'm so glad you brought that up because that's a prime example, you know, um, around the time that Britney Spears had her mental health breakdown, the general public or even, you know, society and the media didn't have the understanding of mental health issues that we do today. It was very stigmatized. It wasn't really talked about. Um, and now we're a lot, I, I mean, maybe not a lot. Now we still have those same biases, but we're more understanding of what mental health is and how it impacts everyone. And we take it more seriously now. Um, so even more empathy for Britney Spears at that time, who was really villainized. Um, in a culture that was just not sympathetic. Yes. And thinking of how maybe we're making a little bit of progress, and um, I am grasping for her name, the gymnast, who earlier this year in Japan decided to not uh, enter some of the events. Such a great, stunning athlete. Simone Biles. Simone Biles. Thank you very much. I believe, or do you believe in her case that she was treated with more empathy perhaps today than if this came out, say, several years ago even? 
I think so. I think she still faced backlash today, but I think it would have been worse several years ago, you know, because we've seen the public becoming more aware of things like mental health and fat phobia in, in, and even like gay rights, you know, normalizing queerness in the past decade or so. Right. So we're just barely taking some baby steps here, essentially. There's a long, exactly. long way to grow, right? Right, right. And that's where, yes, your book, Fat Phobia, really allows us to deal with the essays, have some experience of the conditions that that went on and as you say read it through first and then go back because we'll begin to see some of the nuances and have a, a better understanding yep and uh the book is called uh, plus size a memoir of pop culture fat phobia and social change and in it that's exactly what it does it kind of it is a historical um review of how body positivity came to the forefront of our culture. And although there were a lot of negative aspects, there were also positive aspects where today I think people are so much more educated about what fat phobia is. The general public is more knowledgeable. And so because we're more aware, we're less likely to just accept certain things that we did before. And we, we question more and we're moving more in a, in a more positive direction, um, even even though it's not perfect and there's a, a lot more, uh, much more to go, you know, a lot more ways to go. Um, and an example of that is there was a, a recent um, New York Post article uh, and the headline was sensational. It said, um, and it was sensationalism, it said, um, bye bye booty, heroin chic is back, and that created such a public outroar, a public outrage, you know, an uproar, uh, because people recognized that this was wrong, and and why it was wrong, you know. Whereas like maybe um, back when I was in middle school, you know, the early 2000s or um, back in the 90s. Um, that would have been completely accepted because that was the cultural norm at the time. Right. So so do you feel encouraged that while this is uh, moving along slowly, at least there's the awareness is happening and and it can begin to spread as we discuss it more as we are doing? Yeah. There were negative things that came out of body positivity, like a new beauty standard that was like the the Coke bottle hourglass shape um, and continued fat phobia uh, and just like repeating the same mistakes of the past. However, I do think even just it, the progress of people becoming more aware about fat phobia and becoming just more educated on like the difference between right and wrong in, in that topic has been has been great and, and not just for body positivity but in recent years you know how we've become more aware about mental health issues and, and mental health generally or even you know um, in the past 10 years how the general public has become more accepting of 
queer people and communities and and their issues, you know, obviously not perfectly, you know, we're seeing a lot of anti-trans sentiment and legislation, um, but there's been a level of normalization and there could obviously be much more. Yes. In all of these areas, much more. Maybe the fact, though, that we can discuss it, at least in most cases, civilly and think about how we can be part of the change that needs to happen is going to help us move that forward and make the difference. Yes, I agree. On the topic of fat phobia and thinking about plus sizes, and I actually, I have to say, I'm surprised you described that plus size starts at size 14, which doesn't seem like that that big a number. But I guess that's where the indoctrination comes in. Like you need to be at size zero or size two type of thing. Yep. And and it is the, the average size and it is very much on the border. But, you know, um, a couple of years ago, even size 10 was considered plus size, especially in the modeling industry. You know, sizes 10 and 12 are considered plus size. And these are just very like average body types, you know, but I mean, again, it's, it's hard. It's not an exact science, right? Because different people have such different bodies, like a group of women could all be the exact same weight and they will be different sizes because everybody's body is different. Um, And it's, it is really all relative, but what we know is definitely shaped by the clothing industry, the media, you know, including that divider between what's considered straight-sized clothing and modeling and plus-sized clothing and modeling. And and that was new awareness for me. The straight size is considered that 0 to 12. Exactly. Right. Is this then, because you mentioned early in our conversation how capitalism plays into it as well, is this where the whole industry, the design industry, and, and then everything that feeds it, which is, includes media and advertising and merchandising and all that. Is that how capitalism plays into it? That's an interesting question. Um, I think about this a lot. Um, capitalism definitely plays a role in every industry. Um, but something that I, that I, I think about often, it's amazing to me that uh, clothing retailers uh, in the U.S. are still failing to adequately provide clothing for the majority of Americans who are plus size. So what that tells me is, and then, and then they're losing billions of dollars because of it. So that tells me something very scary, which is that um, uh, clothing retailers and the modeling industry would rather uphold fat phobia then just create clothes for everyone and make a lot more money because of it, right? So they're giving up the money in favor of fat phobia. And if you know anything about this country and its dedication to capitalism, that is pretty mind-blowing. <laughs> yes, definitely. So some years ago, and I can't think of maybe... I'm thinking of the clothing store Lane Bryant, and I, I'm trying to kind of pin when I first became aware of them, maybe about 15, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, But I thought that that was kind of a step in the right direction to have more fashionable looking, more um, 
you know, a broader selection of clothing items in a store. But, but granted, this is one store among how many, like dozens and dozens of, and more, uh, just clothing stores for like regular sized uh, persons. Yeah. And, and, um, Many people have brought up, like, the issues with Lane Bryant, um, just being that the styles are very limited, um, the, the, they're not as um, fashionable as the street size brands. Mm. They also are, cater to a very specific demographic of middle-aged or older women. They don't really have anything for, for younger women. That's when Torrid came in. You know, more recently we've had Torrid, um, but the same... The same critiques have been leveled at Torrid as well, and um, I've seen many discussions about about that. and And the answer is that um, that is also fat phobia, right? the The reason that the products being sold in Torrid and Lane Bryant aren't as good quality as products at straight size stores, and and also they're way more expensive. Uh, the reason behind that is just the fat phobia of the clothing industry. And so um, we see it in the straight size stores by not selling bigger sizes and it's happening in the plus size stores as well, which is very unfortunate. Yes. Now that you point that out, I do recall that when I had gone to Lane Bryant, that it was more geared in that direction. So there's just so many parts of this that really are subliminal that you know they appear on the scene and you think oh this is kind of addressing a need but you dig below the surface and realize this is just um pittance this is not really uh doing the right thing and really supporting each human being as they are accepting them as they are and encouraging them to love themselves and i think that you know that has been a message that has come alongside with body positivity that came along with fat activists and women who were tired of being treated like second-class citizens and took to social media to create their own spaces and communities and, and yeah, change the narrative of fat and, and treat each other and themselves better and, and love themselves more. And that was really what body positivity was before it became, before it went mainstream. And there have been many great critiques of it. You know, a lot of people, maybe they're so, and it's not their fault, you know, we've just received so many negative messages. There's so much negative messaging about fat, you know, fat phobia is ingrained from birth. So some people really just can't see themselves as beautiful or love the way that they look. And that's okay, too. You don't have to do that in order to be well, Um you can be just neutral. You can just say, this is a body. I don't think it's good or bad. It just serves a purpose, you know, a function. It keeps me alive. Right. And who I am is much bigger and more important than this physical, this body that I'm in is not really me. I am greater than this package. Exactly. You're not just lovable for your body. Mm -hmm. um, it reminds me of uh, Jamila Jamil's I Weigh platform where she encourages women and non-binary people to discuss 
the attributes that they love themselves, that they love about themselves, the things that they, their skills, their talents, their personality traits that they love that have nothing to do with their bodies and how they look or their weight. Which sounds perfect. So that's a platform, that's a social media area. What is it? Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. the iWay page on Instagram and on Twitter. Good to know. We can make so many judgments. And if we could stop ourselves and ask the question, like, why do I think that? Because if I were to shut my eyes and listen to this person, I have a certain kind of experience. But then I open my eyes, and because of something about their appearance, all of a sudden, I might have a negative reaction. Why am I having that? Right. And it's because of what we've been conditioned to believe about different um, physical traits and not necessarily how we actually feel about them. Right. And it starts from a very young age and maybe innocently but not so innocent with the cartoons that maybe young children watch and the way that um, characters are portrayed. It all carries a message. It does even when you don't realize it, especially when you don't realize it. (laughs) And that's really the issue, isn't it? When we don't realize it and it it takes hold, there's the seed germinating, and then all of a sudden we have these attitudes and where did they come from? Precisely. It's when you don't realize it that you're the most susceptible. But when you do realize what's happening on the other side of the coin, when you have media literacy and you recognize what's happening, then you're less likely to be affected by it. I like that term media literacy. So how do you regard that media literacy? For me, it's about understanding the meaning behind a, a piece of media. What is the messaging going on there? What was the intention of the creator of that media and everything that's going on in there? And you'll find that a lot of the social issues and the systems of oppression my book discusses, they are being reaffirmed through these pieces of media. And so if you understand how these systems of oppression are operating in the world around you, then you will be more likely to recognize it in the media you consume. Once you can do that, then you're going to be less likely to be affected by that indoctrination that sounds so wise, to watch discriminately, questioning ourselves, not just letting it soak in and and accepting it as truth or gospel or whatever, but just really questioning what's, what's going on. That's how we become literate. Exactly, exactly. That's a, that's a term that I used in my past interview, question everything. Well, yes, which is great. It can only enhance our lives and enhance the world. Yes. Right? Well, that sounds, it sounds simple in a way. I know it will take work, but it certainly is a great place to start. And you certainly, Mekdala, are opening our eyes and our awareness to how to approach all this and the fact that all these underlying messages are right there. And we just really do need to be alert and aware and uh, question everything, as you say. Exactly. 
So let's again mention the book, the website, so that we can all become more informed because these essays are really going to give us more of the understanding and get into much more depth than we can in this very short time. So the book is titled Plus Size, A Memoir of Pop Culture, Fat Phobia, and Social Change. Um, You can learn more about me and the book at my website, www.plussizebook.com. And you can follow me on social media, um, on Twitter and TikTok, at Plus Size Book, and on Medium under my uh, name, Magdala. Which is spelled? M-E-K-D-E-L-A. Well, Magdala, it's really been such a pleasure to speak with you. Really educational and informative. I really respect what you are doing and applaud you because... It really is huge, and you really shine like a spotlight on these very critical issues and give us then the opportunity to think about them and think about our reactions, think about what our life is and what we want the world to be, right? Right, right. Well, you are an inspiration, and I certainly do appreciate your taking time with us this morning and sharing about yourself and about your book, Plus Size. Thank you so much for having me. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Megdala and Sunday Morning Magazine with Omri Johnson. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you want to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast. It's on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of remembering and living. It's a we thing. Have a week of the same and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.